Yes, and uh, so go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to take a look. Uh, we don't have our PowerPoint. I sent about an hour or so uh, building a PowerPoint and then realized uh, two things. One, I used my phone as my little clicker for the thing, you know, to, and my phone had 6% of battery, so I said, oh, great, now I can't use that. And I was going to bring my wife up here and make her just punch the button on the computer. And then I realized uh, I don't have my connection for the computer to the projector, and so I'm a very organized young man here. Uh, I'm not organized, neither am I young. And so, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll just go ahead and go into the study, and we're looking at, uh, in Romans chapter, uh, let me get to it myself, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to, we'll start tonight. It says, therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. It's it doesn't make it an option. He says, you're inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to, to truth against them which commit such things. And think of thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render it to every man according to to his deeds. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless tonight. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you to guide my mind, my thoughts as we go through these verses and in the book of Romans, as we walk through the book of Romans, as we're going to study through this entire book. And Lord, I pray that you'd just give us wisdom and guidance as we do it. And Lord, help me uh, not to belabor any certain issue too much. And, and, uh, and Lord, I know uh, that you're going to repeat certain issues, certain things through the book of Romans where I've been through it many times before. And, and Lord, it's, uh, uh, I'm not going to fail re- to reiterate what you uh, re- remind us of a second time or even a third time. So, Lord, I pray that you please bless tonight. Spirit of God, guide my mind, my thoughts. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard this statement just the other day, and it has nothing to do with this, but I, but I just, it really pricked my heart again. Um, we are, me, my wife, our family, we are where we are today uh, simply, I really believe, because of, of a a gradual 35-year growing in, in walking with God, talking to God. And, uh, and, I, and I, I was listening to Brother Tom Williams preach the other day in, uh, on one of his CDs, and, and he said this. He said, the failure of the church, and, and the, he said, present time, the failure of the church is that we put the preeminence on preaching and not on prayer. And boy, it convicted my heart, convicted me that you just, it's real easy to get busy with everything else when the most important thing is the power of God and talking to God. And so uh, I, just, I just wanted to say that as a reminder, this is kind of what you'd call prayer meeting night, and we have a time of prayer, but uh, it ought to be, it ought to be, uh, 
it ought to be yearning toward, looking toward a time where when you pray, you don't want to stop, you have to stop. But, uh, but I'll go back to what I'm supposed to be teaching tonight if I can't get my mind back to it. Thou therefore art inexcusable. Oh man, Paul finishes God's indictment of the openly, flagrantly sinful and ungodly in chapter one. Chapter one, he just goes through, we've studied through it, it's just an incredible list uh, where Paul just saying, and, and through the inspiration of God, he's saying that you know, all these sins, all that, this is where the world's going to, and we see it uh, day by day. It is, it is amazing. I, uh, the sermon I was listening to by Brother Williams, who is about 15, 18 years old, and, and just looking and what he's talking about, the direction of America, I thought, boy, if, you know, Brother Williams, right now, if you could have seen then where we'd be right now, in America, the, the evil, the wickedness, and, and it's the acceptability of sin. That's, that's so, uh, the sin has always been here. The evil has always been in America. Uh, the, the problem with it today is that it's so acceptable. And so, but now he, he goes from chapter one where he's the God's indictment of, of this sin and the sinner and, what, and what's going to happen. And uh, now he turns to chapter two and, and the best way I can put this, he turns to the respectable sinner. The chapter one's all the incredible, wicked, flagrant sin. Boy, you just say, it's like, you know, you're driving down uh, the, the road that, you know, where I used to go soul one in there and, and, and uh, you know, northwest Indiana, the Hammond area, it'd be state and state line right there at the border of Illinois and Indiana and state and state line about two and a half blocks either way is bars and joints and every kind of things you could imagine. And I, I spent a lot of nights down there soul one and I would go up and down those streets and, you know, you look in there, the, the debauchery and the wickedness and the evil and the, and the people just in wreck and ruin and we were trying to win them and did win many of them uh, down there, win them to Christ. Hey, but you look at that and you say, you know, that's kind of what Paul's talking about, chapter one. But then you get to chapter two, and it's when you drive away and you start coming through, you know, a Munster, Indiana, which you wouldn't know about it, and, you know, different areas where you start driving through the, the well to do areas and the nice areas, and you, th you think somehow that's better. But the truth is, behind those doors is a whole lot of sin. And so he turns to the respectable sinner, and, and I call it the arrogant sinner, who somehow thinks that what he does is acceptable with God, or, or he simply does not truly believe in an almighty, all-knowing God, and watch this, and he's living a life of deception more than a life of hypocrisy. We see that again in our, in, in, in our government uh, often, you know, we, where they say what you want to hear. Uh, it's not really hypocrisy. They are living a superficial, they're living a lie intentionally for deception more than hypocrisy. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, as we just read, we see the, uh, number one, we see the hypocrite's judgment of others and God's judgment of the hypocrite. That's what you see in and verses 1 through 6, that's primarily what you see. But when we talk about the hypocrite, this is what I'm, I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit, and, and hopefully you'll be able to understand it. Some feel this applies to all who are sinners, which includes us all, of course. And, and I believe there is an application there. We, we are sinners indeed, and no sinner has the right to condemn another sinner. Yeah, I mean, 
we have no right to look on them and say in their sin, oh, you're such a sinner. Well, what are we? I, I loved it. Joe Beth loves this one. He, our old preacher, Brother Howells, a long, long time ago, he got up and he just threw a fit. And he said, I don't understand why, why, why one piece of dirt can call another piece of dirt dirt. And you know what? That's the truth. We're all dirt. We're all sinners. We're all weak. But believe this or not, <clears throat> I don't believe this is primarily written, listen to the way I'm going to say this, I don't think it's primarily written to the sinner who has pride in his life, and pride's an incredible sin, right? Pride is a wicked sin. But I don't think he's primarily talking to the one who has pride who is condemning the homosexual. I don't think that's what he's talking to. You see, the scripture says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For, listen to this now. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. You see, I think the primary teaching, now I think both applications are there. I think it's wrong as wrong could be for anybody that, that it, it lives in this flesh. There's only one person that ever came in a body of flesh that did not sin, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us are sinners. And, and listen, uh, even if we did have somebody recently preach that you could stop from that sin, uh, that's not possible in this flesh. Maybe the greatest Christian of the Bible said, and he didn't say it exactly this way, but he just said, the things I ought not do, those are the things that I do. The things that I should do, those are the things I do not do. Paul was saying, you know, I'm flesh. And, and he finally just cries out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the next verse is Christ Jesus. Only Christ is going to deliver us from the body of this death, the wickedness that we live in, the sin that we live in. But, but the primary uh, thing that I think that he's saying here is, is that he's talking to uh, this, the people that are doing the same things and condemning. It's never right for the whisperer to judge the fornicator or the one addicted to pornography for they both were in the same list, but the greatest condemnation I believe that he's making here comes to the one who speaks against that which they are. And not only that which they are, but that which they are not trying not to be. They're accepting it. They're living in it. They're living and enjoying it and enjoying others who do it. You see, that's the height of hypocrisy. That's the ultimate hypocrisy. It's one thing for the guy who has a, has a bad temper, and I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> Smile at me, baby. She's watched me play a ball game or two. <laughs> uh, it's one thing for the guy with a bad temper to the con condemn the guy that, that cussed. Yeah, that's, that's kind of stupid because... The Christian that with a bad temper probably cussed in his brain, in his mind. 
It's one thing when you look at somebody else that, at there, and it's amazing how we always think that what they did is so much worse than what we've done. And that's what Paul's really dealing with. He's dealing with the fact that, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. But he goes, he says, the ultimate hypocrisy is when you're doing exactly what they're doing. It's when, it's when you are stealing, but nobody knows it. And you're condemning the guy who's stealing and got caught. It's when you're lying, but you're good enough to lie and not get caught in it. But you condemn the one who lied stupidly. And what you're really condemning them for is being stupid enough to get caught. It's when we are involved in sensual sins and condemning those who are found to be committing those sins. That's what I believe he's really speaking against. The person, this person is the person of pride and arrogance that somehow believes others are below him even in the sight of God. And listen, whether you can understand it, even and I try not to do this, but man, I, over these 30-something years of being in the ministry, I've had to counsel, work with, work beside, work around, deal with people just like this. To somehow get to the point that they think God looks at them different than he does other people. It's kind of like a theological evolution. They've sort of spiritually evolved above everybody else. And so somehow God's going to... God's okay with it with them. And I'll explain why they think God's okay in just a minute. But, but somehow believes others are below him, even in the sight of God. Uh, but we are sure, that's what scripture says, but we are sure that the judgment of a God is according to truth against them which commit such things. God says, you know what? Truth doesn't change depending on your name. The truth is the same for everybody in this room, including starting right here. He says, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doeth, watch this then, and doeth the same. He's not saying, and doeth other sin, and, and you sin too. He said, no, you're condemning them, and you do the same. That thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Somehow they think that they will not be judged by God because they, watch this now, they don't think they're going to be judged by God, by God because they have accomplished much. Because they are great in the eyes of others and they're great in their own eyes. Somehow they believe if I accomplish a lot, if I'm successful, I'm somehow, I'm separated from the punishment of the normal man. And I know you think this cannot be, you know, people can't really be that way, but, but I have counseled men, now listen to this, and I hate to even say it, but I've counseled men who truly, truly think that God will overlook their sin. Which is the same sin they speak and even preach about in others' lives. 
And here's the reason. God's going to overlook what they've done because they are producing for God. Because they're winning souls. Because they're getting a crowd. Because they're giving a lot of money to the church. Because they're enabling people to go to the mission field. Because of this and because of this and because of this. Listen to me. God says be sure your sin will find you out. In the scripture, David and Samson are often used to prove that if you are touched by God, anointed by God, being used and blessed by God, that God will overlook your sin. And, I, and I, every time they do, I think, now wait a minute, time out. Do you, does it really look like God overlooked their sin? Now, God, only thing God's got to use is sinful people, amen? And so he may continue to use them if they will get right with him. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But it, the, he may continue to use you, but that doesn't mean there is no judgment of the sin. I mean, I've had people look at me and say, say, you know, well, look, look, David did this and David did that. And I say, yeah, and David's child died too. David's children on children rebelled against him. David suffered greatly for his sin. God's word is true. And he said in Numbers 32, 23, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Boy, that's the toughest verse in the Bible. Sin will find you out. Amen. Let me say it again. Sin will find you out. If, if, if there's anything else that ought to make you run to confess sin, that ought to make you run to confess your sin. Go watch this. If you, it, it, moms and dads out here, would you raise your hand, please? The moms and dads, okay. When your child does something incredibly stupid, which way is better for them? For them to come admit it and confess it or for you to find out about it? Yeah. Now, they don't think so. But if they'll come and say, this happened, and I blew it, and I messed up, please don't kill me, uh, they, it's going to be a lot better on them. But if I have to find it out, I mean, I know God's not like me. I mean, I, I, you know, I sure hope he's not, because... <laughs> uh, you know, if I find it out, the moment I find it out might not be a good moment for me. I may snap. But if they come to me with, with a heart of contrition and remorse and sorrow, I, you really don't even have to... I don't think God's any different than us. You really don't have to discipline them. How are we doing? Now, folks, I'm not, I'm not up here mad or nothing. I enjoy stuff, but this is just what God put in Romans. Okay, so that's all we're doing. We're just going through what he put in Romans. And, and so, all right. Now, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. He didn't say the wages of somebody's sin. See, this statement, though, for the wages of sin is death, this is not sometimes for somebody, it's every time for everybody. 
We have seen this in the political system. Sadly, we've seen it even in our churches. Men and women rise to a stature and they speak out against wickedness and then we find they're living and actively indulging in the same sins. Now, it's not like others don't do that. I'm just saying these are two really visible areas that, that in recent years has it, become very visible with, with all kinds of social media and everything that's out there and, and you know, video phones. Scares me to death, man. I mean, I, you know, every, every time I, you know, I used to do all kinds of crazy, stupid things and just playing and doing. Now I'm just like, oh, don't take my picture. <laughs> You know, I'm just, wow. You know, just every time you turn around, it's like, boom, boom, boom. you know, they're going to they're gonna get you. And, and uh, so I, I had to be real careful. I mean, I, I did some really crazy things. I, was, I stood on top of a bus on the Dan Ryan Highway in Chicago. I got bored. We are in a traffic jam, so I crawled out on top of the bus. And I'm just riding down there, waving at people. On the other side of the interstate was a police car, and I even waved at him. He's looking at me like, you're crazy, man. Now, if they had video, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have lasted another day. I've been all over the news, man, and I'd been fired, you know, but I just, it seemed like the thing to do at the time. But <laughs> I jumped off the bus one time and ran back. The Chicago Cubs were behind us. They were in a big Greyhound bus, and I jumped. We were in a traffic jam, and, and, and when you got a whole busload of sailors, and it's hot on that bus, and you're stuck in a you're trying to do everything in your world to, to entertain these guys, because some of them were coming down for the first time, and they're thinking, Why, what did I do? I just got trapped in a two-hour bus ride, you know, and so I tried to think of everything I could do. So I said, hey, fellas, I'm going to go, you know, talk to the Cubs. Watch me, man. I ran back there. I knocked on their door. And they open the door and welcome me in. I'm walking up and down the hall. Hey, man, come on. I'm shaking hands with all the Chicago Cubs. I climb all the way to the back. The bus, you know, traffic started to move. And the bus driver said, hey, man, you got to go. We're starting to move. And I said, okay, fellas. They opened the door. And the guy right in the front grabbed and He took a case of beer and shoved it in my arms. And they pushed me out the door. I'm sitting in the Dan Ryan with a case of beer. And my whole bus of sailors going, yeah! <laughs> now, if you could have videoed that, I've been in a heap of trouble. <sighs> Amen. No one is above sin. But Paul lets us know that that this is the height of foolishness in a man to somehow think he can sin and condemn others for that sin and yet escape the judgment of God. That's the height of arrogance. Or that's somebody that does not really believe that Almighty God is Almighty God. And this kind of pride and hypocrisy is blinded to the fact that the only reason, listen to this now, this kind of pride and hypocrisy is blinded to the fact that the only reason they have not come into judgment already is because of the goodness and mercy and love and patience of an almighty God who gives a second, the third, the hundredth chance to people of flesh. To us that might turn to him in repentance and humility. That's what his hope is. Probably the greatest biblical example 
of this, this whole teaching that Paul's doing in chapter 2 here. You see, in verse 4, he says, o, Or despisest thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? And I, you think, man, the, the arrogance to, to spit in God's face and continue to commit sin and feel like, you know, I can condemn other people for the same sin and I'm not doing this wrong. You know, I, God's going to judge them, but he won't judge me because of who I am. That is so, it's beyond my comprehension. And what I want to say to him, do you know the only reason that you haven't come into judgment now? It's not because of your production. The only reason you haven't come into, into judgment is because of the riches of his goodness and forbearance, and long-suffering. He's just, he's trying to give you another chance. But David stole a man's wife, committed adultery. Then David manipulated the situation so that the woman's husband would be killed in battle so that no one would ever know of his sin. Now, how could David do this? And I believe this is honestly the reason men and women can get so powerful, they feel they are above judgment. And that's where the statement comes. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But see, here's what happens. We get this, this level where somehow... It can't happen to me. And then comes Nathan. Listen, the, the political system that we're in, and I'm not going to name names, but those that, that are in the public eye right now, the truth is, they truly, I believe, they believe they are above being caught. They're above being judged. They're above being punished. And you know what, can I tell you? I don't know that we're going to see it ourselves, but I know this. God said, be sure your sin will find you out. Nathan comes and tells of the judgment of God. Romans 2, 2 says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, for those not familiar, it says, the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, say this little ewe lamb, uh, which... He had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and he was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger, you, you see the story, there's, there's, a little, there's a poor man that just has this one little lamb that he 
loves dearly and, and that's all that he has. And then you got someone else that has much and has whatever he wants and he could take of his abundance, but he goes when he wants to, to do for someone, he goes and takes the little lamb from the poor man, the one thing that he has. And, then, and David, when he hears this story, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And here's David. He's stolen a man's wife. He's, stole, he's committed adultery. He's, he's, he's had a man murdered. And now we're talking about a lamb that's being stolen from a man. And he gets angry and says, that man that stole that lamb from that man, that's all he had, that one lamb. That man ought to die. Now, to interject just a slight bit of humor into this, it is amazing to me that God says that he's got to die and then he's got to pay back fourfold. <laughs> I'd just be saying, you better pay me quick. But look what he said. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. This is the perfect illustration of what Paul's talking about. He's saying we can get to the point where somehow we don't see our sin as sin. And here's what we do. Nobody knows about it, so it's really not sin. It's only sin if somebody knows about it. It's only sin if somebody finds out about it. When I was catching shoplifters, caught 400 shoplifters in 40 months, 44 months. When I was going to put myself in Bible college, an incredible way to put yourself through Bible college, catching shoplifters. 400 of them. Can I tell you, I think 399 of them were sorry they got caught. Did you see what I said? 399 of them were sorry they got caught. They were not sorry that they stole. I may have had one out of that whole bunch that was sorry that they stole. But I had a slew of them that were sorry that they got caught. Because stealing wasn't wrong. Getting caught was when it became wrong. And folks, I think the lesson you know, God's really trying to get to us is we need to recognize that if nobody in the world knows about it, God does. But I want you to get this. David gives us the remedy, though, when we, and I say we, when we have allowed ourselves to indulge ourselves in sin. Here's the remedy. 2 Samuel 12, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, what's, it, it's not a hard thing. David just said... You're right. He humbled himself and he confessed his sin. And he didn't confess it to Nathan. He confessed it to God. I have sinned against the Lord. A simple, humble heart confession 
And I believe you have shown here that you can be cleansed. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. I think if David had not admitted his sin, God was going to let him die. He was going to die. Now, he still suffered. There are consequences to sins in this life. God will forgive, but there are consequences to sin that have been set in motion. And I believe he sets those in motion, listen to me, so that we will know the pain of pride and arrogance and condemnation and will not desire to go there again. You see, I don't believe that David went through the rest of his life and never was enticed by some other soldier's wife. Probably was. But he didn't want to go there again. That's too much pain. You say, the, what was the pain? Watching his baby die. What was the pain? Watching his children rebel against him. What was the pain watching a son destroy a daughter? Watching a son murder another son? We need to also understand that the judgment to the repentant heart is never what the unrepentant heart will experience. And this is what I, I really believe this. We will still suffer judgment for sin but it will never be the, the there will not be the same judgment for the repentant heart as there will be for the unrepentant heart God says but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness a righteous judgment of God who will render to, to every man according to his deeds. There are human consequences to sin. There's wrath to the impenitent heart, and that person will experience the full wrath of God for all, of his, all his deeds. My advice, and I'm done, and my desire is that we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, repent of our pride and evil and sin and judgment of others, that we might experience the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, and that we might know the goodness of God and it might bring us to repentance. That's what I believe he's teaching in the first six verses of the book of Romans. Uh, there's a lot more in there, I'm sure, but I think it's a real challenge to us. And, and again, the challenge is, Remember, as we go out of here, if nobody else knows, God does. God does. Brother Allen, if you close us in prayer.